Hey, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Decentralized Radio. Today, we are live with Katie the Russian. Katie, thanks for joining us. How are you doing? Thanks for having me, guys. Doing really good. Ryan, how are you doing today? Man, on this frisky Tuesday afternoon, I am feeling wonderful. The weather's nice. We're going to have a really good discussion. So I'm stoked. Yeah, yeah. We're getting over this cold snap here in Wyoming. It was minus 22 this morning. Yeah, I saw but it. It's 12, 12 or 13 and sunny by the afternoon. So it's great. And yeah, I think this is very, you know, these topics we're going to talk about with Katie are, are, are very um, fitting right now. I think a lot of people are, are thinking about alternative options. There's more and more people in the health space as well thinking about Bitcoin. So stoked to have kind of a good run of a Bitcoin podcast. And then as well, kind of motherhood and uh, raising children in a sovereign way. So we're going to talk about all these things. But first, maybe, Katie, your backstory, I'm like a little familiar, but it's always good to start with a Bitcoin backstory and, and how you got into this and how you got into the, you know, under, I guess, valuing and understanding the value of alternatives from a freedom perspective. Yep. So I'm Katie the Russian, obviously, born and raised in Wyoming. <laughs> kidding <laughs> obviously born and raised in wyoming of russia actually siberia which is the <laughs> coldest part of russia um and mentality wise i think there's uh, some similarities so yeah as somebody who's who was born and raised in a post-soviet um, country i basically have seen multiple hyperinflation throughout my lifetime i've seen the authority authoritarian governments coming after whatever you own um, as well as we, whatever you think. So kind of questioning authority has been growing with me, with my family. And that's just how I grew up. I grew up in a highly entrepreneurial family. Um, and like critical thinking was engraved with me by my parents, which I'm super thankful for. So when I got the opportunity to actually learn about Bitcoin, it clicked quite quickly, again, because of my experiences in life. I sometimes um, compare myself to the movie character, the movie's called Slumdog Millionaire, where the guy from India, just he just knows all the answers to the who wants to be a millionaire. And I obviously didn't grow up in Indian ghetto, but um, all the experiences in life has led me to this sovereign individual lifestyle in terms of the monetary policy, my own health, my family, and just my values in general. Um, I guess that's uh, something I can thank Russia for in some ways. Um, so yeah, um, I've been a Bitcoiner for quite a few years and Bitcoin is all like the way I've, I viewed my life in general, um, also really went hand in hand, like overlap with how I see the monetary system, the the health stuff, the jurisdictional arbitrage just fall into it so perfectly too. And that's what I do these days. I'm a founder and CEO of Plan B Passport, where we help people over, all over the world to obtain a second citizenship residency for their benefit. Um, just like, I believe that's the way to obtain more freedom. So all these pieces just came together with Bitcoin and uh, now I live my dream life. <laughs> That's it's, it's so incredible. And, and we've talked to a few people now. We just had a, uh, a doctor on who's expert in, in COVID research and he's in Canada, but former Eastern Bloc. Um, so he, he just, you know, has those fundamentals kind of baked in. But, you know, how, how do you feel now about like the US and the West versus Russia today? Because this is something... That's quite interesting. And I, I even have some friends or, you know, like Russia's based, like Putin is, is making the right decisions, kind of like giving the finger to the West. And obviously you have the passports, which uh, business, which you're going to get into as like an alternative. But, you know, how do you see Russia today in kind of, you know, this sovereign lens? Do you think they're making good decisions, bad decisions and how that compares to maybe the state of the U.S. currently? Yeah, well, politics wise, I'm very much agnostic at the well more i used to be hateful towards politics and now i'm agnostic because i realized that no matter which team you pick they're always on the other side from you 
um, your best bet is to completely disassociate with politics and put all your efforts into bettering your life, uh, making sure that neighbors around you have the same values as you do, making sure that you have like a support system, your own quote unquote village. And that's way more important than the guy that sits in a White House or whatever. Um, so that's my take on the whole politics things. Now, um, there is another more important sign of the times, which is like people's mentality, like socially, what is acceptable and what is not in the country. And of course, in this regard, Russia is like on the other side of political spectrum, definitely from Canada and definitely from like socialistic liberal states of the U.S., just give to give you an example, while there's a lot of pro-choice going on here in the U.S., Russia just proposed a law where they say you cannot f freeze embryos. You know, when you go through IVF, the, um, you can freeze your eggs or you can, um, you can put the sperm in the egg, fertilize the egg and freeze the growing embryo. And the the law proposal is basically about this is already a human. You cannot freeze embryos. Um, so like just to show you how on the other side of political spectrum Russia is these days. Um, and again, you just need to make sure that your village is on your side. Like you build around your own. So like. You just find the right village. And I believe that, you know how in Bitcoin Network we have the nodes that are running the protocol. And then you connect with other nodes and you make a network. And if you connect with a malicious node, the protocol, like it's not going to run properly, right? You will recognize that this is a malicious node. So the same way I believe that you build your village, build your tribe, you make sure that you are not a malicious node, that you leave your truth, you leave your... Like you, you really leave your values. You're not just saying it, etc. And then you find other people that do the same thing and you connect and you make this network. So I believe this is, this is the way. Um, and then just unplug from malicious nodes. Yes, they will be in any country in the world. They're everywhere. Unfortunately, you're not safe to escape anywhere, but it is on you to just build this perfect tribe. No, I couldn't have said it better myself. And actually, it's really interesting um, when you were talking about your background, because it sort of makes me think of my background in the polar opposite direction, almost completely opposite. Um, and it's, it's been very interesting over the last couple of years coming to this place um, where we can all sort of have this conversation with sort of a unified message, because from where I've come from, I, I probably would not have had these ideas around self-sovereignty or financial freedom with Bitcoin without having the health struggles I had. And that seems to be where all these things, this sort of trinity meet, like finance, freedom, and health. And it's super fascinating because uh, I was telling Tristan pre-show here that I really never thought of autonomy as being an issue of freedom, of, of being sort of in an enslaved state within some place like the United States, because when you hear, like you were saying, when we were, you were talking about politics, I, I, I totally agree that we're sort of wasting time on optics um, when we could be focusing on uh, other, other things um, that, that have a lot more um, valid concern. I think a lot of it too is optics, right? It's, it's, it's sort of pushing the focus into other areas where you cannot have control and that sort of leaves them in control of you. Uh, meaning them, meaning like people within government, like uh, cent centralized systems and stuff like that. Um, so one question I sort of wanted to ask you, because I never really thought about it until I found out we were going to have a discussion with you today. And I don't know why I didn't, because it's a very obvious thing to think about, is, is like this idea of having multiple passports, like being able to get out of where you're at. Because when we talk about like things like CBDC um, and fiat currency and stuff like that, you can see how, um, and I see it every day with with friends and family that I know that, they're, they're stuck where they are financially. And it's not just because they don't have enough money, which is, of course, part of the issue, but it's that the money doesn't move anything outside of where you're at. And that's the true enslavement, enslavement that, that we all face is like that entrapment of not only do you have no money, maybe, but the money that you do have almost has no value anywhere 
but the state you are in. And so yeah. it's it's sort of this this catch twenty two. And so I, I but I never and that goes to autonomy. And so I'd love for you to sort of dive into like the importance of it, like how you came about thinking that. Obviously, your background plays a big part in it. But um, I'd love you to kind of get into that because it's a area of discussion that I never even really thought of until I got familiar with you and your work. Yeah, absolutely. So the name of my company is Plan B Passport. People usually understand relocation and that comes with their own reasons. But I'm a big proponent of having the optionality. And that's like, that's freedom. If shit hits the fan in your country, in your state, and you have this exit strategy, the hedge in place, you can just pick up the things and leave, right? And this optionality is like, I think this is highly important. If you look at the last few, like last, let's say four generation of America, probably more than 50% will tell you, yes, my grandparents or my great grandparents or my parents had to flee their country, right? So it's just historically necessary to be able to pick up your things and go if you have to. And now um, seeing what's going on in the world, the war is taking place in in places you might have not expected to break out. And in the U.S. specifically, the two-party system keeps driving each other further and further from the center. It's almost like they, they want civil unrest. It's almost like they're pushing us. They always highlight the, the biggest differences and completely miss out on any similarities between the two thought leaders, whatever. So they want us to hate each other. They created a whole showbiz out of it. And it's election year. So I'm seeing a spike in American clients just like making sure they have this exit strategy. They don't want their sons to be mobilized for a war they didn't pick, they didn't choose. They want to just be able to leave. And uh, I believe that's huge. Um, And I left Russia a while ago, right? I've been in the U.S. for almost eight years, and I'm, I'm now. Now I'm thinking, even if I didn't leave back then, I probably would have left by now, just because again, like you're being forced out of Russia um, quite heavily these days. Like the exodus is huge, because we're no longer part of any monetary system other than Bitcoin. We are no long. We can no longer travel. Like Russian citizens are not welcome basically anywhere. It's super hard to get visas. You can only basically fly in two directions to like Dubai or Turkey, and then from there you have to travel elsewhere. Like the flights are all shut down. So there is this new iron curtain that falling back onto the Soviet bloc, specifically Russia mostly. Um, so just having this optionality to be able to pick up things and go and either, you know, wait from afar and see what's going on or just build a better life on a new spot. That's, that's huge. And here comes the plan B passport. So optionality, that's, that's always, that's always the freedom that there, there's no other way to describe freedom. It's like you are acting on your own choices, not because somebody has monopoly over you. And when you have one passport, that means that this your state has monopoly over you. Yeah, I think it's a great way to to put it, and it's it's something that I think a lot of people realized during COVID. Right? Is is they got stuck, like Ryan said, their backs were up against the wall, and I think a lot of people probably made decisions that they regret or they were really uncomfortable making, and now they're like, I never want that to happen again. Like I, I want these options the optionality like you're saying i want the freedom to be able to you know flee or be able to make the correct choice that i want to make without having to worry about money without having to sacrifice things for my family or my health and it's cool to see that there's a lot more people coming around on this and yeah it's it's kind of weird and and i think it's important to also understand that this isn't like, hey, I'm like, you know, fleeing, I'm jumping ship right now. It's like, I just want the option in case things do get really bad. And we are seeing a lot of things accelerate, um, even here in the US. But what's really cool to me, because I've had two passports for most of my life uh, with Austria and the US, but 
I almost, you know, it's not that useful because I feel like even Europe is Central Europe is probably more social socialist and captured than than U.S. and Wyoming where I'm at right now. So how does this all work with you know at a high level? And we can dive into it with with getting other countries' passports. Is is there certain countries that are just really you know looking for more citizens, more sovereign people, people with money to build up their economy? Like, how did you go about? kind of finding the right countries and and working a system that really makes sense for people and is also kind of feasible you know maybe you don't have to like physically move there and live there 365 days a year yeah um just want to make one more comment regarding uh, the choices that we made yeah when we were pushed to the to the wall when when things like this happen it's a state of a crisis in a state of a crisis you mentally don't operate um, based on your own principles. Usually, you're being forced to make a choice that you don't, you don't, you, you wouldn't normally make. Um, like that's basically the definition of a crisis in a mental health world. So, your when it comes to sovereign individual theses, your whole your whole goal is to make sure that in a moment of crisis you have other plans in place, right? You know how to hanker down. Like all the prepper mentality comes with half plan in place so you can avoid the crisis, the state of crisis. So um, same happened with like COVID. You were forced to take the thing you wouldn't otherwise take. While sometimes all you had to do is like wait out a crisis because all the corporations, like they were requiring the thing for like six months and then, oh, we don't care anymore. It was all for politics. So like waiting out, being able to wait out this crisis is the prepper mentality that has to be in place. So that's where the plan B passport comes into place. Now, um, in my company, we mostly work with citizenship by investment. Basically, it means that you don't have to relocate to the country. You don't have to have special abilities. You don't have to uh, like go through any immigration special policy other than you invest in a country's economy or you donate money into country's economy. And then on this basis, they grant you a citizenship of the country. Now, like this is the ideal scenario. This is a pure capitalism applied to state services. You give us money, we give you passport. You picked us as the better state service provider like just like you would pick a phone company, internet provider, the best quality of services at the better price. You picked us as your new state. You're welcome here as long as you pass the due diligence. But not very many countries in the world offer this. Um, so currently, the leaders of the market are Caribbean islands. They've had this program since 80s. And it's like you donate 100 or 150 grand into our economy or like national growth fund. You pass the pretty thorough due diligence. Like they will find stuff on you if you if you have some criminal background. Um, and you prove that the money for this donation or investment came from legal sources for the judges, of course. But um, and on this basis, you obtain a citizenship. You don't have to relocate. You don't have to even visit one of those islands. Everything is done remotely. Um, you just submit the paper. Well, we submit paperwork on your behalf. And six to 12 months later, you get a passport in the mail. So I have a big hopium. And if you read Sovereign Individual, the book, they actually do talk a lot about it. The end of nation states through basically capitalism evolving uh, from Pro, like from programs like this, because now we have this competition between jurisdictions for the fruits of your labor, for your capital. They want you to come and build things. So if we actually allow this competition to happen for the first time in a very long while, the states will be actually incentivized to be better and to provide you with better services at better price. Right now, due to the complete monopoly on the citizens, this is not the case. They have absolutely zero incentive. The state team, crew, whatever, keeps growing. The spending keeps growing. The debt keeps growing. The money printer goes brr. So that's where we stand right now. 
Yeah, no, it's super interesting, especially like it's actually funny you mentioned the money printer at the end because I was just doing some research on on just like current inflation and stuff like that. And it sounds like they're going to be kind of turning that printer on again in the near future, um, probably sooner than later. Um, but that's just that's a, that's just the, the circus that we're in, you know, and that's just how it goes. But I guess yep. one thing, one question that sort of comes to mind as as like, because it sounds like for someone that's interested, like you said, in that choice and opportunity and like the the position is having choice like that's what everyone if they remove a lot of the noise like really wants or they think they want um it's really interesting how they use that sort of reverse psychology against you because because it's, they use it a lot but um um when it comes to like price and investment for these i'm guessing it varies via the place that you are looking for passport can you maybe talk about how like variants um yeah. and stuff like that yeah for sure so of course it's pure capitalism, so there's competition going on, which drives the price down between the jurisdictions. So they they usually just try to match each other in value just to make sure they still have the client the clients without losing too much on the on the cost on the price. So let's say let's talk about the most popular jurisdiction right now, Antigua. Antigua and Barbuda, two islands in the Caribbeans making one jurisdiction um it's hundred six hundred seventy two thousand dollars per single applicant and around 220 for a family of four and that includes the donation into government fund it's a non-refundable donation um the government fees and plan b passport fee for handling your your services uh, your your application um, in about seven months you will hold a passport in your hand or the whole family will hold the passport you have access to 157 countries visa-free or visa-on arrival, so it's a pretty powerful passport. The jurisdiction itself has zero capital gains tax, zero global income tax, zero dividends tax. So they incentivize you to come, come and build things from here. Um, yeah, that's, that's honestly the most popular jurisdiction. Now, another one that is on the other side of the world would be Turkey, interestingly enough. Turkey is going through a complete shit show politically. The inflation is just ridiculous there. But if you're not planning to relocate to the country or if you're making money in US dollars and still planning to relocate, Turkey is pretty good because they are on the other side of political spectrum. Um, there's like a layer of like the immunity to wokeness socially, basically. And um just knowing that they're not in bed with the U.S., with Canada, um, makes it a really good Plan B passport, right? Because just like Tristan, you said, if you have two passports from like EU and America, you basically know they're in bed together. Like they're on the same agenda in in, in a lot of in a lot of thoughts. So um, while it is good to have a second passport, you also you also ideally would want the two countries not to be friends, more like frenemies, maybe not enemies either. So, yep. Yeah, that's the Turkey one is, is quite interesting as well. Um, it, it's just cool to see this, you know, popping up more. And I, I know El Salvador is, is now doing kind of like their, their freedom visa or passport, I should say. Um, and we can get into that a little bit. But the tax perspective is one that I'm I'm really curious about because obviously most Bitcoiners think that like taxation is, is theft kind of through and through. Um, is this something that and and even there's like Puerto Rico right has become like a very big safe haven for tax, but they're very strict with you know I'm pretty sure they like monitor how many days you are there exactly. Is this a similar thing? Um, with Antigua and other countries, or maybe you could talk a little bit about the tax piece, because obviously this is big and people are sick of paying taxes. I'm lucky, you know, in Wyoming, we have zero state income tax, but we still have federal tax. And yeah, it's uh, it's only probably going to get worse, right? For sure. Tax is a huge incentive. However, Americans are in a very special spot in this regard, because only two countries in the whole world have so-called citizenship-based taxation, meaning that if you just leave your country, you still got to file with Uncle Sam no matter what. While, let's say, Canadians can relocate, get out of Canada, cut the ties with their country, 
and not interact with their um, with their tax bureau ever again. So for them, it would be much easier to leave the country financially and bring their capital with them. For Americans, there are basically three layers, three tires of minimizing their taxes. Full disclaimer, I'm not your tax attorney. I'm not tax accountant, whatever, whatever. Um, obviously, moving between states is huge. The The whole federation thing is still working in place. There is jurisdictional arbitrage between the states. Now, the second layer is basically Puerto Rico, specifically interesting for those working on capital gains taxes because their capital gains are between 0 and 6%, depending on a short-term or long-term capital gains. Now, just like you mentioned, the reason behind it, by the way, is Puerto Rico is not a state. So it is U.S. territory, but it's not a state yet. It might become one soon. So as of now, they have their very special tax regime. But as you mentioned, they're very specific with who is considered a tax resident of Puerto Rico. And again, it's not more Puerto Rico. It's the mainland that cares. Because if you have a house in California and you come spend three weeks a year in Puerto Rico, like California is going to want to milk you. Taxes are the price we pay for not being thrown in jail. So uh, the civilized society um, thing. So that's option number two. And the third tier, which not many people are ready for because America is still it's still full of opportunities. It still has this mental freedom-loving thing going for a lot of people here. And I'm in Texas. I definitely feel that here. Um, I feel like a lot of people are on the same wavelength with me, and that is very important to me. So some people are willing to renounce their U.S. citizenship, go through the whole exit tax thing, um, and just become a citizen of another country. And in this in this scenario, the plan B passport becomes their plan A, and then they just also need to choose the country where they would love to leave in. Yeah, th those are great points. And uh, yeah, we're, we're here live on Decentralized Radio. Quick promo break. And if anyone has any questions for, for Katie, please put them in the chat. Uh, on the YouTube channel, we will answer them, um, get them relayed over at the end. But yeah, this podcast is brought to you by Wyoming Based, which is a 100% natural fiber apparel brand based in the United States. We now have 100% wool beanies and sweaters available for pre-order. I think I have one right here if you're watching the video. We are really proud of this and check us out at wyomingbased.com. We will have more apparel coming soon, but bringing back manufacturing and removing woke marketing from the outdoors apparel industry. That's our goal. And now let's get back to the show. Man, it's like you've, you've done that before, Tristan. I like it. <laughs> I've, I felt like I was on a radio show. It'll get it'll get better there, but yeah, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was, I was so campy in the best way. In the best way. One thing I actually was curious about as we're talking about that is um because and actually I did know that about Turkey before we got before you started talking about that. I found that super fascinating. Um, my boss actually was just there, and I I can see sort of like some of the appeal, like like you were saying in some ways, but it's sort of like that roll of the dice and in, in other aspects with all the stuff going on in that part of the world. One thing I was curious about. Because you do like consults, like through your website, you can book a consult and sort of like dive into, okay, like what is best for me? Like, what's my situation? Like, okay, where, what, what would fit me? How, how do you help people decide that, especially when it comes to like relocation and things like that? How do you decide like what is best um, for your needs, wants, desires, um, and, and ability? Like, like, as you said, like price varies, it's matched via the market and stuff. But I'd love you to sort of walk through that process a little bit. Yeah. While we provide services for very few countries, again, citizenship by investment is our main service. Um, I am still very familiar with immigration policies basically all over the world, Latin America, East Europe, uh, Southeast Asia, etc. So I'm able to just talk to you and understand what you value in life. What is your family composition? Uh, how old are the kids? What do you desire for your lifestyle? And uh, what are your income streams and what do you care about the most when optimizing for 
specific jurisdiction and then just on the brainstorm kind of getting together and talking through that we realize which jurisdiction makes sense again if it's relocation usually i do i do just advise to make sure that that's the jurisdiction you want because in most cases people have already been there they have already enjoyed their life there and they know that's what they want they just need to figure out the immigration policy to be in place uh, while for Plan B passport, it's very strategic choice. Again, you have to take into consideration the immigration policy that they have, the geopolitics currently in place, and let's say the next 15 years of how things may unfold. Because again, it's geopolitics. It's never set in stone. You can buy a passport today, and then 20 years later, you will need another one because now these two countries are totally in bed together, and you need to change your just like in bitcoin you sometimes need to change up your security system or you realize things change um like in your in your life like when i got pregnant i had to change my diet a little bit and i had to optimize for different different goals so based on your goals and needs the strategy will change eventually probably but right now we just shooting the shit we realizing what makes sense for you and your family and then I propose the ways to execute that. No, that makes a lot of sense, actually. It's, it, it's fascinating because it's, it's, like I said earlier in the show, it's something I'd never really thought of considering. Um, but now, every day, it seems a little bit more appealing. Uh, I'll kind of yeah. let Tristan jump in here because how's Mike go off? Yeah, yeah. I, I was just curious as well on, do you expect to see more and more countries kind of roll this out? And, you know, El Salvador is right. a... a a big one have you seen a spike in interest there as well in the past one to two years obviously bukele is doing a lot of great work i'm i'm, I'm going down to visit in a couple of months hopefully and yeah there's people are seem to be open-minded and you know think of you want of like javier malay but there, there's more and more momentum behind i guess the adoption of bitcoin as well as just being open to kind of this free market of of people really of, of bringing in people to help spread the economy to help kind of cater towards a more uh you know libertarian or just more uh avoiding the the western influence in terms of the government yeah well i definitely have my hope human place that more and more countries will jump on this train and realize that the old guard such as let's say West Europe is no longer the shit. And Latin America is starting to realize that they are kind of the shit now. Mm -hmm. And they can uh, like call the shots. And uh, El Salvador is a big one right now. They are fighting the WEF agenda on so many levels. And now they totally rolled out a citizenship by investment program, which you also need to understand when country starts when country launches citizenship by investment program, they are raising concerns within their treaties, right? So every country has treaties around which with whom they have citizenship, uh, which which with whom they have visa free access treaties or double taxation treaties. So now you might start losing those treaties, and that's the big concern that Latin American countries have because some of them have pretty powerful passports. Um, and they don't want to lose that for their citizens, like naturally born citizens. But as of now, again, EU is losing its power, while Latin America is becoming more and more interesting for interesting for nomads, for um, entrepreneurs, and they are starting to change their immigration policies. So El Salvador launched their Freedom Visa, which is actually truly citizenship by investment program, citizenship by donation. The prices. Um, barely competitive with anybody else on the market. They're way more expensive than Caribbean islands. They do have a pretty good passport. Again, visa-free access to EU, visa-free access to some East European bloc, uh, all of Latin America, basically. But you wouldn't con like you wouldn't do it if you just want to relocate to El Salvador. In this scenario, you, you would just go with financial solvency visa, where you just have to prove that. You make over 1200 bucks a month and then you're good to go. Uh, but it's more of 
look, we are changing things here in El Salvador. We are really taking a step against the the Western movement and we are making Bitcoin a legal tender. We are all in support of bringing the power back to the individual. Therefore, we're hoping for donations. And if you're down, you'll get a passport. That's how I see this program because like plan B wise, they're so much more expensive than anybody else on the market. But I'm glad they did that. So far, we haven't seen any hate from Brussels and their convention uh, BS there. I wonder if, so Davos is taking place right now as we speak today. I wonder if somebody's going to bring up El Salvador and discuss that in Davos. I would be very curious to hear that um, because I'm sure it will raise concerns. But I'm glad to see that, definitely. Yeah, it's that's that's what I kind of got from from reading that because this, you know, what is it, like a million dollars? It's it's quite high, but it's um, hey, there's some people who have money and they want to be a part of kind of bettering uh, a country, and obviously Bukele has done a lot of great things. So I think it's great, and I think it's optionality again, and it shows that you know they're looking for people who want to be a part of the the movement. And yeah, I'd be curious as well what's going on um, at Davos. But I, I'm sure people are definitely thinking about El Salvador, but because of their size, it's almost like it's they're they're small enough to kind of be ignored for a little bit, which is almost like a good thing, I think. But yeah. then, you know, Argentina and like Malay and these people, it's like now Argentina is like a really big country. Like I don't think any of this is just going to be able to go, uh, you know, unwatched or unnoticed. Yep. Um, the other thing that has become popular especially I've seen in the health space, health influencer space is um, I guess it's called like birth tourism passports. And yeah. I know that's a bit different from what you do, but it seems to be also kind of popular. How does, how does that all work? And I think it's like Costa Rica is a popular destination. There's definitely other, you know, Central American, Latin American countries as well. But um, do you think this is also a good way to do it? Obviously, it's a kind of a better or sorry, it's a, a bigger commitment from from a family perspective, but it seems to be gaining traction. Yeah, I actually my newsletter, I talk a lot about birth tourism. It is a huge commitment. Um, the The most popular jurisdictions are Brazil, Argentina and Mexico, I'd say, simply because they're the shortest path to citizenship for parents as well. The child gets the citizenship right away based on the uh, birthright. But in Brazil, all you have to do is stay for another year as a parent and you get citizenship too. Argentina, more like two years. Mexico, four years. Now, um, you do need to be a little crazy because you, like, when in childbirth, you optimize for the less, the least amount of stress and the most peaceful experience, I would say. And now you're moving to a country where you don't know what's going on with like policies, uh, home birth policies, especially like if you consider that you, you don't know how to fight the local medical system, which that's what a lot of women who want natural birth have to do. Uh, you basically have to be able to advocate for yourself if you're in a hospital setting and you just need to need to stand your ground very strongly. Unfortunately, that's, that's what's happening in the birth um in the birth system these days so if you are willing to do that i would strongly consider those three jurisdictions that i mentioned and again there is there's always an alternative there with uh unmedicated birth with having an autonomy over your own over your own birth story so uh i think it's pretty cool um it is much cheaper in some ways but it does require full relocation yeah i mean that actually makes a lot of sense that's actually funny because um i was having a conversation about this topic with a friend of mine the other day but i didn't even think about bringing it up so i'm actually glad tristan did because it, it's an interesting one that's like a rabbit hole in of itself um but For actually sure. speak, it's actually a really good transition as tristan was telling me a second ago um to like you're gonna be a mother again um and so what does it mean to you to be like a sovereign mom because this is a conversation actually I've been having with a lot of um, new parent, close friends of mine who are, who are new, newly new parents, um, but also just 
friends of mine that over the last couple of years have made a lot of transitions into a more uh, targeted role with parenting their children because of the events of the last couple of years. So I'd love to just kind of see, hear your perspective. Um, I think you'd be the first woman on the show to talk about it. So that'd be awesome. Yeah, for sure. So in parenting these days, you're again forced to the wall to do things the way system wants you to do things. Otherwise, you will not have access to certain convenience or comforts of being a parent. So, for example, um, you cannot you cannot attend daycare as an unvaccinated child, or not even I'm not even saying unvaccinated. I'm saying if you're not full on schedule with CDC, which is 72 vaccines by three years old, you cannot go to daycare. Mind blowing, mind blowing, absolutely. Um, there is obviously no clarity on all this vaccination. We are blindfolded on all this information. The research is funded by not our friends, but enemies uh, who try to take advantage of us. So if you have even a little distrust in the system, you are basically an how do you say, out, outcast because on every step of the way, they force you to do things their way or you're out. Um, same goes for like labor, childbirth. Like if you go traditional medical system, they want you to take epidural. They want you to, to do things the way that is convenient for a doctor, for the OBGYN to deliver your child, not the way that is, that is natural for your body, etc. So when I try to apply my sovereign individual thesis again to the motherhood, to the parenting, you always want to leave room for optionality. You operate on first principles and just be like, okay, who is incentivized for me to do things this way? Follow the money, follow the incentives. And at this point, I feel like I'm still young, obviously, um, but I feel like I have my values in place to have a lot of gut feeling about things and just realize that, okay, this goes against my gut. So I just apply this to my motherhood journey quite a lot. Um, and same for parenting, same for, same for childbirth, bearing children, raising children, feeding my children, etc. cetera. Um, so yeah, they, they just take away every step. They want both parents to work uh, because you can't barely, like you cannot survive on one income in this, in this country, in this era. Uh, mothers have five weeks of maternity leave, which they don't have clearance on working out yet. Like usually it's six weeks to have sex and, and work out, but five weeks in you going back to the office makes so much sense. Right. Um, so they want both parents to work, meaning that they have to drop off their five weeks old child at a daycare, which means they have to be on schedule with CDC and bring the income to the big pharma um, and then after daycare, they want them in, in school. Now the school creates quite, quite convenient citizens for the state who will obey no matter what. And it's just this whole conveyor, like you're in a manufacturer, just takes your child step by step and walks them through becoming a good citizen. Yes, unhappy. Yes, over-medicated. Um, yes, getting a degree, getting in a huge debt that they don't need and they can't even monetize later in life. So um, it is, it is that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually insane, to be honest. And yeah, the vaccine schedule, again, it just backs people up against a wall, right? And under a fiat standard, they have no flexibility, like they don't have another choice. So that's why Bitcoin is so powerful. It provides this opt out. And, you know, we can go back to having uh, a more nurturing environment. Because again, I mean, when you just drop your kid off, let's say they're five, six, 10 weeks at daycare. I mean, that's like a traumatic event for that child. Um, I mean, I can't speak first person, for but mother. from 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 my understanding, yeah, that's for the mother and the child. It it is really bad, and it's really again the social programming is is just being installed at all levels, and the quality of daycare is is so poor. So I think a lot of people are getting on board with this, 
but they're kind of either stuck. They don't know where to start. So maybe what were some good resources for you where you learned a lot? And again, the whole, even just pregnancy, home births, that's, these are all like very intimidating, you know, scenarios, right? Like you really have to trust the process you could say. And what were some great sources of inspiration and education and knowledge for you that, that you implemented and found were, were very helpful? Yeah. Well, first of all, just don't fall for what the society tells you because they are in a system. They can see just one perspective. They cannot see that there is other way and there are options. And the moment you start believing there are options, you will see them. Now for the uh, childbirth information, I really like Ina May, I-N-A-M-A-Y. It's a really cool story, actually. In the 70s, there were a bunch of hippies like traveling around the U.S. in buses, and they realized they started to get pregnant and pop out children a lot, but there were hippies traveling on a bus, so they started to deliver each other children, and that's how the biggest midwifery community has been born. So all these women just you know, shared the knowledge between each other, and then later on, they were actually able to make some money and buy a huge farm in Tennessee, I believe. Um, so the documentary is also called The Farm, um, about this community of midwives. They're now at the very old age. They're all like 80 years old. They still share their knowledge. They still have a midwifery school. So I really enjoyed their documentary, their books. Ina May Guskin is the main midwife there. Um, so anything from her, I really enjoyed. And then it's a huge rabbit hole. There's also like free birth society. Those people completely disassociate with any medical care for the childbirth, like no ultrasound, no, no midwives. They just, her and her husband just have kids at home. That's, that's all that is. So that's, that's another free birth society would be a good, a good thing to look into. And again, just like I mentioned, you have to wait out the crisis. Like for example, you can't go to daycare without vaccinations, but you can't go to public school after that. That's no problem. You can file for a religious exemption and they will let you in zero problems. And you're like, okay, so you just have to wait out the first four or five years. And the, you already the religious have a exemption I've, I've been learning is, is, a, is a big one. And uh, yeah, it I think is. everyone just needs to say that they're Amish, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> That's yeah. well, and well, that actually happens a lot here. Religion and still be against vaccination. Um, yeah. So yeah, those are those are some some good resources. But the first one is just realize there's your way. There is a society way that has been forced on you for for childbearing, childbirth, then motherhood, parenting, and there's your way that you can implement at any point. You don't have to believe that motherhood is hard that parenting is hard that you need a certain amount of money to have children because you can do it your way uh, and it will work out for for good no and i couldn't have said it better i mean it's it's really great to have someone on with with the experience like firsthand and having like garnered the knowledge because i think when it comes down to a lot of things at the end of the day like we spoke about um some uh midwifery and stuff with our friend zade on the podcast who just had his first uh, firstborn son this 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 year and it was super fascinating because um one of the challenges that he talked a lot about and i'd sort of love your take on this too is is that when you're in the system um like they had sort of a scare they actually had to go to to the hospital at, at one point but they but because of the way centralized medicine is like built up like they rush you through this process and so you don't really even have in the moment times to think about making maybe decisions you wouldn't have made other than in the pressure. And that seems to be just a theme. And so I'd love to know, like, from your perspective, like, how have you handled, obviously, you have a great community and, like, family and all this stuff that's probably been helpful and in, in, in stuff like that, plus your background, um, which has set you up for that knowledge base. But a lot of people don't. And they're sort of, sort of maybe coming into this new, or they don't have the knowledge base, or they don't have the support. And I'd love to hear what advice you offer to people that are in that situation that are being pressured. Um, yeah. And I sort of say, like, I tell people this all the time because uh, in the in the coaching space myself, you deal with 
family members not understanding your health situation and why you have to do things differently. And I tell them, you know, you kind of just got to try either try to explain it or you just shove them aside kind of, unfortunately. Yep. But I, I love your take as sort of like advice you would give in that, in that scenario. And maybe yeah, experiences so that you've had. I actually had my first child in a hospital while I was totally planning on a home birth. I, I think I deadlifted myself into labor at 35, 34 weeks. Like, stupid, stupid. So I went into labor at 34 weeks, which um, put me in a hospital setting. And you really have to stand your ground strongly. And like, imagine you're a woman in labor, in like, in pain, in stress, and you still have to advocate for yourself. And there are doctors that literally come into your room and say, well, your child may die if you don't do this. And you're like, first of all, what kind of bitch you are for saying this out loud? Like, seriously? And second, okay, give me the numbers. And she goes, 0.002%. Like, you motherfucker. You're totally, you're totally lying to me right now. And you're like pushing me towards the direction that will cover your ass. And that like the whole medical system is they're optimizing for their safety, not for the longevity of your child. And like, she just wants to make sure this child gets out of the hospital seven days from now and he or she's not dead. That's all she cares about, right? Me as a parent, I need to make sure my child lives a healthy life, doesn't have health consequences for the rest of his or her life. And like we optimize for completely different things and just having the power of knowledge and having the mentality that they will force you do things their way is very important. And then um, just having a very supportive partner for sure. Like my husband was like, he, he was with me at every midwife appointment. He knew my stand on things. He learned so much information to be able to make decisions for us for me and my child so he like my my doula still tells the story of how he was like just yelling at 17 doctors saying get away from here like this is this is how we do things so that's very important to just be on the same page with your partner and know what you what is what you're willing to say yes and what you're willing to say no to yeah, I, I think that's similar to, you know, what Zaid said. It's just like, you know, you really, you almost have to mentally prepare for how much they're going to berate you, pressure you, and kind of just lie to you, like you're saying, to push, you know, pharmaceuticals, to push vaccinations, post-birth. And it's it's crazy. So I think anyone listening to this, like, really stand your ground. It's it's tremendously important. And again, like you said, you're you're thinking about decades of quality of life for your child this doctor's thinking about the next week short time preference right so it's all it's all about the low time preference and unfortunately the decisions you make in in those critical moments are imperative so if you prepare for them you will be able to you know not have to act as we were saying earlier under that crisis mentality uh, which is really just so great that there's more and more people sharing this education and there's more information coming out about just how it goes in that sort of environment. But maybe I want to get a little bit into afterwards, you know, in parenting and motherhood as well, because you said a couple of really important things that, you know, people think parenting is really hard and children, they're always like, so, you know, out of control. And there's just so many like social norms there to break completely. And I've seen this a little bit already with my nephew, who's two years old, and, you know, he's way, way more well behaved and progressing from a learning standpoint way faster. And obviously, he's eating real food, he's getting outside. How have, how do you think about this um, in terms of, everything that society says about motherhood and, and parenting and then getting in as well to the, again, the tradition right now, there's this kind of like strange trend about like traditional living, especially in the health space, Bitcoin space. And obviously you're a mother, uh, you're pregnant again, but you're also running a business as well. So kind of like the modern sovereign mother is really, I think it's, it's a totally different thing than anything else in the past. And it has to be because we're in a different environment, yeah. right? Well, the biggest part of making your parenting easier is health, 
I can I cannot imagine how difficult it must be to have a hard recovery postpartum. That's the first thing. Like I I walked six thousand steps the next day after I had the baby. I again stupid. I was deadlifting four weeks postpartum. Uh, like I just felt like I can run a marathon the next day after I had the baby. My recovery was just boom. And, uh, but I was also nourished by my in-laws and my community with like best beef stews every day postpartum, just really great stuff. Um, and, and then you just need so much energy to be a parent, honestly, because you still have to take care of yourself, take care of your spouse, take care of your children, take care of your business and the energy levels that come with your, you being in good health is huge. Uh, once, once your energy levels drop, like something will get out of hands for sure. So that's a big one. And then a lot of this natural living is making it much easier because like I breastfed my child until he was 20 something months. And breastfeeding is so much easier than any kind of formula BS thing because there's no bottles. There's like part of your body that is literally with you all the time. You can get on a plane. You can walk around. Your child will never go hungry. And he gets the best nutrients there is. Like nothing can replace that in the world. So by breastfeeding, I made my life and my motherhood so much easier again because i didn't have to put him in a daycare where he would be away from me i would lose my milk because i'm not breastfeeding during the day like that's just just made it much easier um i would say those so far again i only have a two-year-old child and about to have a son number two in a few weeks so i'm talking about these experiences as i grow older i'm sure i'll have more solid takes on on schooling by the way when I was first pregnant and I had a child I had definitely this like imposter syndrome of I know what I want for my motherhood journey and for my son but I don't know if, if I'll be able to stay true to my principles or the society is right and it's gonna be so hard that I'm gonna you know I'm gonna completely lose my principles and just stick with whatever is, is the easiest but then I am gaining my confidence as a mother, as a parent, um, as a wife as well. And so far, everything that I believed in has has been true. Um, and now with like us entering the learning experiences, I realized that, yeah, they're like, we don't need to be schooled on a certain curriculum. You can just follow what the child wants to learn and be more flexible with that. And it will be bring better future and better results um for the learning process too so so far um my advice have been confirmed uh let's see how that goes further i have to admit like one of the things that's really interesting is um my boss uses this term zone of genius and i feel like that's something that i'll because the way standard curriculum is set you learn certain things set out like throughout various years and you don't really lean into your zone of genius. I mean, the idea of college in my head was, oh, I'll lean into my quote zone of genius then. But usually, um, and I had conversations with my brother about this a lot, it's sort of like you get to college and then you just try to pick the degree which you can get hopefully the best starting salary or you're screwed. And in that case, sometimes you're screwed anyways, depending on, on what you pick. And that's sort of the, the story my brother went through the last couple of years. Um, but you mentioned uh, being healthy and having resilience. And I find that, I mean, it, it sounds obvious, but I don't think it is to a lot of people because when, I'm, when I think about going into parenting or going into wanting to have a child, the first thing I personally would be thinking of is like, hey, how's my health? How's the health of like my significant other? What are we giving this kid based on that? Because you're giving that child all of his mitochondria, her mitochondria from you. And so um, I'm getting a little granular, but it's still, I, I think about that because I see people that, in some respects, I'm like, they, they're almost setting their child up for failure from the start. And then they're setting themselves up for failure because they didn't take care of themselves. And like you said, you had that great rebound. And I feel like in evolutionary history, that would be of preference to have pretty good rebound after birth, just from survival point of view. Um, you probably wouldn't want to have to lay around for months or a month, you know, after birth, if you have to like run away from something. 
So it's just something to think about from a logical point of view that feels like lost in, in normal society. But I'd love to know sort of like maybe what modalities and practices and healthy lifestyle changes you made uh, prior to birth, but also just in general that, that you like owe a lot of this um, resilience to and sort of just like some of that knowledge base you found. For sure. So I definitely took quite a few steps before getting pregnant with my first child. I actually engaged with a functional medicine doctor before meeting my husband with a specific request that I want to get highly fertile and make sure that my pregnancy goes well. And I like I came to her and I was like, I need to be able that my woman's health is in place so I can have children soon. And she's like, oh, when are you trying to conceive? I'm like, I'm single. Wait, wait a second, I'm still single. <laughs> so I, I took some time to get ready for that. Um, so if I were to start preparing for pregnancy right now, um, I would reevaluate my workout routine because I do believe that uh, childbearing women uh, or like childbearing age aged women should have a little different workout routine than those who just optimizing for the best body, let's say. Um, definitely, uh, my 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 physical routine has changed a lot. Um, I also would would get done all the blood work and not just the blood work that you're regular doctor gets done but like a full panel on everything like from hormonal perspective to thyroid to like minerals and stuff like all of it everything you can get your hands on and then optimize for again the best performance and by the way never look at american blood work ranges it's ridiculous because those are optimized for sick people like go find functional medicine ranges. They're going to be completely different from what you see in a like quest diagnostic in the U S what they tell you is normal. It ain't normal uh, at all. Uh, so I would definitely do that. Um, and then, yeah, just be very consistent with your diet, with your workout, just consistency is a key for sure. Um, that's what I did. And so I'm coming from a, professional athletic background i used to be uh, um like russian national team sailor so i would get my blood work done every six months so i have like tons of data on myself from when i was a child and yet i'm i was still not in my greatest health until i really started taking care of myself like the national team doctor still optimizing for different things so um i actually was told that i will have crazy issues conceiving a child. I might uh, be infertile, etc. when I was like 19. And then I took care of my own woman's health and I got pregnant the, the moment I decided that I want to get pregnant. Um, and it's never like, again, they will tell you crazy things in the woman's health department. Ridiculous. They will put you on birth control to, to get your cycle in order. And you're like, this is not your cycle. This is what the hormonal pill tells you to do, tells your body to do. So um, I would just, again, do research, be your own knowledge. Nobody's as incentivized to be healthy for you than you yourself. Like none doctor has more incentive to get you to a healthy state. It's all on you. Um, yeah, that's that's probably my biggest take on that. Yeah, I think that's it's a powerful message, right? Like nobody knows your body better than yourself, but also the fact that you can completely transform your fertility, your vitality, whatever it is. And especially for women, I think that's really important because there's definitely this social norm of what women should look like and what athletic um, you know, endeavors you might be doing. And, and not all of these things are, like you said, very conducive for fertility, for conceiving, conception. And it goes back to, again, understanding what that means. And right, if, if you want to be fertile, you want to give your body like signals of safety, abundance, and just think of the, the environment that, you know, your body will be comfortable in conceiving a child and then, and then raising a child. And, and you mentioned a, lot, a couple key points earlier as well as, and something that ties back to the hospital environment and in general is, is the stress and the safety um, aspect of when you're pregnant, when you're conceiving, and then when you are going into labor. I think these are tremendously important things that are often overlooked and then often disrupted by the, the centralized medical system 
but it's tough. It's definitely tough out there. And there's a lot of, you know, things that, you know, a lot of pressures, a lot of things that, you know, women are told to do, but in reality, you have to become, I think your own sovereign individual and and understand what's best for yourself and your family. And you've paved a, a good path for that. But again, it really comes down to that, that personal responsibility um, and it's really exciting because like I said, it's, uh, it's a new age, you know, there's, there's not this traditional, um, you know, just the women's at home working or working only to support the family. Like we kind of have to be contributing from, from all fronts now, especially for moving the momentum forward in, you know, a, a decentralized perspective. And it's really cool that, that you've built out the plan B passport and, yeah, we appreciate you coming on. If anyone has any questions for Katie in the chat, please uh, enter them in now. But I guess what's, yeah, what are you most excited for as we kind of wrap this up about, you know, parenting, about childhood, about your second birth, how you're doing things differently? What, what are you most excited for? And what is uh, been the biggest pleasure of, you know, having a family? It's pure magic. Having a husband, having a family is literally the best thing in the world. I did not realize the the happiness like I always consider my have myself a very happy person, but the level of happiness has grown has increased significantly with me getting married and starting a family. I think this is the optimal way for humans to live. This is how we can really have the most amount of happiness in life. Um and just don't compromise like you know exactly what you want make sure to put effort into sorting through what are your own wants and needs versus what society told you um maybe out like put some effort into outlining what's really important to you like put it on paper and then no compromises build the life of your dream you have possibly one life and you are the one who can make it happen or not so um my whole thesis is just don't compromise, build a beautiful life. That's it. I love it. It's so powerful. It's your story is inspiring. Um, I think this has been really important, especially for for female listeners to the podcast, but but also men, you know, find if you're looking for a partner, go out of your way to find someone with shared values of you and then provide, you know, safety, protection for them in an environment that is conducive to to raising a family and shortly we will all be on the train of, of raising a, a group of sovereign individuals that's the goal repopulate the world with you know uh of children that have the mindset that we want to create a better world for everyone else and it all it all starts with uh you know yourself so that's what we like to do here on, on decentralized radio so katie thanks so much for coming on we appreciate it um, this will be out uh, tomorrow if you didn't listen into live on on audio, and yeah, we'll we'll have to keep checking in with you in the future. And and best of luck, uh, best wishes, happy uh, or sorry, best of of health to yourself and the newborn that's coming in a few weeks. That's really exciting. Thank you, very much. Thank you guys. Really appreciate it. Had a lot of fun. Um, and Plan B, sorry, Plan B Passport dot com is the website correct yes and they're on okay. youtube and all that good stuff yep all right and you Thank are you, you are at katie the russian on twitter as well correct yes <laughs> amazing all right thanks so much katie we appreciate your time you have a good Thank one you guys. have a good one